Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, bet crack on. Love Island's on. It is Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, with me, Adam Bullwood, Nico Morales. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing very well, and uh, Chris Hennage is here as well. Chris, how you doing? Evening, Adam. Feels like it's been a while. Uh, Chris, how are you? What have you been up to? What's going on in the world of Chris Hennage? World Cup prep, uh, yeah. piece on Magnus Ikram that's now dropped for Seattle Sounders, hey. um, and just preparing to move across the globe. Wow, very exciting. Across the Atlantic? Yeah, to uh, to New York, which when, is when's it happening? Uh, it will be happening in August, so it'll be maybe one of the smaller summer transfers. But I like to think just as important. <laughs> it's a summer transfer, um, and so yeah, I'm now just trying to realise what I can take and what I need to get rid of. Basically, it's a lot of a lot of books, which I think is a good thing. I've not read any of them, but yeah. you know, just guess it looks good. Uh, what about you, Nico? What have you been up to? Uh, World Cup prep, doing a lot of writing, which is good. Um, Peace on defending, peace on uh, Pochettino's influence on England coming early oh, that next week. That's good. And yeah, then Messi. But yeah, I got really sad actually when you tweeted out the the tweet for the questions this week because you included like a picture of the the World Cup ball, and I had bought one like a like a like I want to say two months or a month and a half back, and I was playing with it because I love. I love the the World Cup balls, and I was playing with it at my local park, and I shot it over. It was a great shot, great curler, nice power. It just it just missed the goal, um, and it went right into <laughs> a thorn like bush. Really? Well, you know, objective, but uh, <laughs> it went right you into a thorn bush. Almost hit it too well. As I almost yeah. I, no, some would say I hit it too well, um, but yeah, it went right into a thorn bush, completely deflated, completely ruined. Air bladders pop, so two hundred dollars down the drain. You bought you bought a full full-on World Cup. We're not Listen, so it was, in, it was in the interest of the front three because I was going to come on, because there was actually something at the time, maybe we can talk about this, but there was something at the time where David De Gea and like two other goalkeepers were talking about how they didn't like the new World Cup ball because of whatever, and I was going to you know test it out, and I actually did come to some of my own conclusions in the 45 minutes that I got to use it. Yeah, don't but, kick it in a thorn um, bush, for example. Yeah, before it completely deflated, so I mean, don't don't roast me here. I'm, I'm, I'm putting in the, the money, the time for the podcast Adam, I what mean, are you doing? It's normal. You just you just planning your wedding. You're just you're just <laughs> yeah. doing whatever the hell you want to do. I just would never 
many a time I've been confronted with that. Mm, should I pay the full whack for a, a proper ball, you know, the standard right. match ball, or should I just get a replica? It's a replica every single time because you know you're going to kick it in the fall. Here's the difference. Here's the difference, Adam. You live in London, so there is a lot of stuff to do there outside of just <laughs> being physical. I live in Orlando, Florida. There is not a whole lot to do. So World Cup ball is my only joy. To- you go to theme parks every single day. Well, that's what happens. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how yeah. it works. Achieve no, it's that. filled with pasty English people like you and Chris. Yeah, think, it's yeah. true. <laughs> it's very true. To be fair, uh, guys, <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about. Um, there's been a lot that's been going on in the world of football in the last week. The World Cup's coming, as the guys are saying here. They've been prepping. We've got so much to talk about, as well as your questions as well. In part two, they've been coming in on Twitter. Some great ones to dig into. Before that, though, it's time for whole of the week, review of the week, as always. Um, and it's only one. There's only one candidate, so fair play to the only taps from Canada who submitted a five-star review on iTunes. He entitled it Great Pod. He said, Great podcast, been listening for a few while, and this is slowly becoming one of my top football football podcasts behind La Liga Weekly. Keep it up, lads. Bring back Statman Dave, smiley face. You never know, the only taps. Dave might be coming back uh, for the World Cup. We'll see, we'll see. Um, let's move swiftly on, there's so much to talk about, as I said. In the world of football, there's so much going on. It's difficult to know where to start. I feel like the start at the beginning. Uh, some news that came out a couple of days ago, really. And this was the, the curious case of Loris Carius, Chris. Now, earlier this week, it was revealed that he was possibly suffering from concussion during the Champions League final. The the information about the concussion, it was... Uh, it was So, F, obviously, FSG is Fenway Sports Group, and they are... Uh, owners of the Boston Red Sox, and so I think they did an independent medical study via the video camera angles, and obviously carries himself on the doctors that they have on staff there, and they came to the medical conclusion that he was likely concussed in some way, shape, or form. Yes. Massachusetts General, a doctor who assessed the Liverpool goalkeeper in Boston, um, he was sent for a head scan there last th- last week. This was, of course, when this sort of emerged um, amid concern at the club at his reaction to a collision with uh, with Sergio Ramos. Now, I think it's fair to say this news was met with a mixed response, Chris. And in my opinion, it seemed like quite an immature response. Um, I mean, I've seen some of your tweets that, that would be interesting to get your thoughts, but the reaction I saw seemed to suggest to me that perhaps people don't fully grasp concussion or don't understand uh, the serious nature of it and therefore didn't treat this news and this revelation with uh, perhaps the the seriousness it deserved yeah I, th- I think it's it's a problem that's endemic in football that we, we haven't really caught up with the other major sports as it pertains to understanding of um, concussions and and kind of their severity the protocol it surrounds them. Football has a concussion protocol, um, but again, when it comes to actually supporters, people watching, understanding what has happened or happening, and then the fallout from that, I think we're still pretty far behind. Um, there was a, a doctor whose name is escaping me right now who talked about temporary substitutions as a way to work with concussions within the sport because it gives the doctors and medical team a chance to assess the player in question and, and whether they have actually suffered a concussion. But I think the problem with the carry situation is, is kind of what you alluded to, that it was very immature in so much as people instantly took it as an excuse for his performance, which it's it's absolutely not. That's not what 
I think the majority of people were trying to get at. Certainly there would be some who would look to it that way, but I think the, the much larger and much more significant point was that there was a football player who continued playing with a potential concussion. And a lot of people, I even got two guys today who um, sort of mocked the fact that I said this could have been fatal if he'd suffered another head uh, head knock in, in sort of any ways. And that's the other problem is that um, I think it's called second impact syndrome. It's still very much in the discovery stage as a condition because they're not sure um, of a lot of the, the aspects towards it. But essentially it pertains to if you do suffer a second impact after a concussion, it can be fatal. It can cause uh, severe disability, mental problems. I even read a story just in kind of looking it up of an American football player, uh, I think at high school level maybe, who did not recover and was not given space from the first concussion and then suffered another head impact and essentially became paralyzed from it. So there's a lot of seriousness attached to this because you have to remember it pertains to the head and the brain and the brain is this really fragile, um, I'm really careful not to use wrong scientific terms here, but fragile organ in our body that once it's damaged, it's it's almost impossible to fix. It's mm. it, it That's the problem is that it's, it's not something that can, you know, regenerate like a liver or something like that. It, it is a very fragile piece of us that we really do need to take care of. And I think if we're going to talk about, um, you know, scanning players' brains for head for heading related injuries and such like after they finish their careers and that impact, we have to take the, the present just as seriously and look at players and how best to protect them from, from concussion uh, consequences. I think that's a fair point, isn't it, Nico? Because, I mean, I'm, I was reminded of, it was Christoph Kramer in the 2014 World Cup final who took a heavy blow to the head in that game against Argentina. Uh, and afterwards, he asked the ref, is this the World Cup final? You know, the, the referee thought he was joking. But then Christoph Kramer actually was saying, you know, is this the World Cup final right now? He's very disorientated, he's very confused. He played on until the 31st minute when he sort of slumped over and was then replaced. But I think, as Chris is sort of alluding to there, there was kind of this quite tribalistic response along club lines, people ridiculing Carrius, ridiculing the club for what they saw as an excuse for his performance in the Champions League final. But like Chris says, surely this this continuing issue of concussion in sport is something that we should be having a much more mature conversation about. As Chris says, how do you deal with this in the game? How do you make sure that something more serious doesn't happen again in the future? Yeah, I think the the main thing um, that I want to hammer down with this entire issue is that I think the for, for football, I think there is a genuine possibility of people making major strides in terms of our understanding of concussions because there is less of a motivation to cover things up. So as we've seen with various films, documentaries, and and articles and investigations, the NFL, which I think probably is the leading um, sport that you would have a a degree of data or subjects to study in terms of concussion and and brain impact, which is what we're talking about, Um, you would have, you know, a plethora of that. But there has been a, a, a concentrated effort by the NFL and the people around it to, to sort of shove those things under the rug. And I think the reason that people don't take these things as seriously, obviously, is because the, the as Chris is saying, the brain and our understanding of it and how it works, these things are still very much in this discovery stage. So things that are now that are becoming more and more apparent are a consequence of repeated brain impact, um, like depression and mental health issues and 
other issues within the body, those things are becoming more and more understood now. But in the past, you know, the generations of our fathers and the ones before them, those things were just kind of, and, and since it's not, you know, a black and white situation where every single, you know, heavy impact to a player's head is going to cause, you know, uh, if it was as as easy to see as that, like every time somebody got hit in the head, they had this specific consequence, then I think, you know, that our understanding of us as a society of these things would be furthered. But since it's so varied and since everybody's brain and, and each impact is different, we have a, a more, um, I don't know, we don't have a, as good of an understanding of, of what the consequences are. And I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a really good podcast on it recently um, where they're kind of studied, they, they have more and more, uh, you know, results and, and studies on these things. And it, there's a, it's called tau five, which is the protein that supposedly gets released into the brain tissue after repeated and repeated and repeated brain impact, and that is actually heavily linked to to serious cases of depression and schizophrenia and and all these other mental health disorders that we don't take that seriously. And I, I think that's the reason that people don't see it as a major issue is because we, as a society, don't have a great grasp on mental health issues. We don't have a great grasp of how these things work. But if there is a concrete thing that we can say in a lot of these cases for football players, for soccer players, for whoever is causing these causing these things and people mm-hmm. understand that, then I think people will have, uh, a, you know, a more profound respect for those who have undergone brain trauma and repeated brain trauma and might possibly suffer the, the consequences of that. On a similar note, we also had uh, Danny Rose this week, uh, the England fullback, revealing his depression diagnosis. I think something that was treated with much more maturity uh, by the newspapers, by fans alike as well. Um, but the, the, the Tottenham player came out, disclosed the illness in, in, a, in an interview this week with the England squad. We're giving to national newspapers, um, talking about how it's triggered by a combination of injury and family tragedy as well. And he's rightly been applauded for that. Chris for that that honesty 100% because mental health in football again it sounds like we're possibly bleeding the boring drum but it's another situation that is not uh, covered enough and I think it's something that maybe we don't always want to address because it's not the easiest conversation to have and I think actually mental health problems specifically are a lot more prevalent in football than we might want to admit um, and the fact that we have a senior senior England international, excuse me, coming forward and say, yes, I had a problem. This is how I solved it. I'm in a better position now than I was, you know, six, eight months ago, whatever. That's really important because it's it's not necessarily about anointing these players as role models because I think that's not their job. But I think they can still make themselves relatable to people. And And I'd be very surprised if there isn't a person out there who read that interview with Danny Rose, read those quotes and thought, you know what, I need to get some help for something that's bothering me that's either similar to this or within that wheelhouse. And I think ultimately that's the most important thing. There's one more bit of news um, to talk about before we move on to, to maybe some of the transfer news and the questions, etc. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the developments in the in the Premier League today because there's a, a couple of interesting tidbits that could have a big impact on the future of, uh, of England's top division. Uh, first off, Richard Scudamore is stepping down. He's been the, the Premier League chief executive um, for nearly 20 years. He's going to be stepping down at the end of 2018. Now, this is a character, this is a man in... The industry who's been, I think it's fair to say, criticised, Chris, for 
what seems to be a, a more financially motivated approach to the Premier League. Um, would, you, would you think that's fair to say? What, what sort of impact do you think Scudamore stepping down could have on the Premier League? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, it's it's fair to say that he is the man that has steered the ship through fairly significant growth of the Premier League as as a marketing force, as as you know, something that commands huge, huge revenue from its TV rights. And to that end, you have to give him credit. Now, at the same breath, I would say that there were times when he took that too far. You think of mm. you know the talk of the thirty ninth game possibly being abroad that. There's limits to it. Do you know what I mean? That when you start talking about playing games abroad um, and and sort of drastically changing the competition to almost appeal solely to those um, those foreign viewers, I think you run a dangerous line personally. Um, I was going to say, based on what you said there about the, the TV revenues um, on the article the BBC have about Scudamore stepping down, they say that when he joined, uh, the television rights for the Premier League were. 670 million now the last deal he secured is worth 5.14 billion so it shows the extent to which those those revenues have grown i mean the interesting thing is nico this announcement is comes on the same day that it was announced amazon have won the rights to show 20 premier league matches a season for three years in 2019 uh, again the, the the fee hasn't been disclosed but you can be certain that is a sizable amount of money divided now between amazon sky bt as well you can see the direction that Scudamore's taken the Premier League in to becoming this this financial behemoth, really. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think probably the most interesting thing here is the Amazon thing because um, I was listening to a Ringer podcast a while ago that kind of talked about you know people are now kind of mapping out and drawing lines, more con- concrete lines in the in the digital media sector and Disney, Amazon, Netflix, all these guys, and obviously Netflix is. Uh, a little bit separate because I don't think they have a, sp- a focus on sports, but for a company that's as big as Amazon, they want to make a name for themselves in the sporting department. And I think the Premier League is kind of the biggest fish that you can get. If they had bought Bundesliga or Serie A rights, that would be a different thing. But if you have rights for certain Premier League games, that certainly sets a precedent for a company like Amazon, uh, a, a digital and tech behemoth as big as they are kind of carving out their piece of what they want to do going forward which is ultimately probably streaming and and those kind of things so it's it'll be really fascinating to see how that all pans out because are we going to have a divided sort of streaming service are you only going to get certain leagues on certain you know uh services and, and providers or is amazon just going to take over from the beginning because as far as i can tell they're one of the only ones that are doing this so far so it, you know obviously football is the the biggest sport in the world and them taking that it, with the premier league and probably eventually some international competitions of the champions league or whatever is is a major step perhaps the most fundamental change uh, we could see chris is the news today along with these other two pieces is that the top six premier league clubs appear to have won their battle to be paid a greater share of international TV revenues. Now, this is Man City, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs sort of pressing this case that they should be paid more money from international broadcasters because they are the, the main attraction for international audiences and therefore they should receive more money. Now, this will be the first time this happened for 26 years. It's been shared equally among all the Premier League's clubs, which I think is an incredibly admirable uh, way of, of, of doing business, especially when, you know, in the league, it's been Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, 
sort of getting the majority of the TV revenue and therefore strengthening their own sort of stranglehold on the league. It appears now that it has been approved and that from potentially 2020, any additional revenue in the TV rights will be distributed according to where these teams finish in the league. So the higher you finish, the more money you get. I mean, what do you make of this? It feels it feels like a negative change from my point of view because, as I say, the the democratic way of doing it, dividing it equally, has led to the incredible strength of the Premier League. And I think making it such an exciting domestic competition, this feels like it could be the beginning of the big teams always finishing the top six, where there's less competition, where the best get better, and everyone else is sort of falls behind. We're already seeing that this season where the teams seem to be divided into two leagues, if you will, the top six and the rest. This is only going to make that that more pronounced, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's my that's my slight disappointment in this is that if you're because essentially the top six as it stands now, yeah, because Burnley finished seventh, the top six is is pretty locked in in stone for my mind, and I, I just feel as if for that reason it just means the rich are going to get richer, and then they already spend a significant amount. I mean, there was someone uh, a chap who does a lot of finance stuff on Newcastle and their, their balance sheets and everything, who worked out the last eight players Newcastle bought totaled roughly the same as what Man United just spent on Fred. Now, that's a, a fairly hefty disparity. And granted, you know, Man United are challenging for the league. Newcastle definitely aren't. But it does, to me, paint a little bit of a picture to the the, the disparity between them. And I can only see that getting bigger. And for the actual competition of the league, I don't think that will make it any better. I think... If anything, it probably means that the talent will just gravitate to the top. Whereas I think there's there's more benefit in having a Wilf Sahara Palace or having teams uh, not sort of collect the talent, if you will, to to one place. And I'd also be, I, I think, an important thing to to kind of consider as well is like um, I would imagine that a lot of the people at these negotiating tables, the ones that ultimately have more power for what the league's going to do in terms of these rules and these newer rules, are the biggest clubs. Because as we saw, I don't know if it was two years ago now or a year ago, the, the biggest clubs in, in Europe were kind of talking about breaking away from the Champions League, creating their own sort of European Super League type thing. And, and I think the only reason those talks have gone away is because that is kind of that's their you know gun to the head type of situation they can threaten the leagues they can threaten the champions leagues because of the power that they have as those clubs and as we're seeing i forget where i read it but either uefa or or someone is is has considered or has already changed the the rules in terms of the the terms of qualification and the points that those teams hold it'll be done over or supposedly it'll be done over like a 10-year basis so if you have a, a significant degree of pedigree within Europe and you know you only have one or two bad years you'll always have more points and more qualifying points and uh, a, I guess an upper hand to some extent on teams that are breaking into that and I think it just it goes along further with this idea that those people at the at these top, at these bigger clubs they don't just want to be there right now and have the best players right now they're making serious financial changes both in the rules and you know everywhere else to make sure that they're cementing their place as a team that's never going to drop out of Europe that's always going to be in these highly broadcasted highly um, you know money making high money making competitions and such I understand that impulse at the end of the day we live in a yeah in a in a capitalist society and obviously these are businessmen who want to make sure they've got the most valuable product 
but it's depressing. It's funny how it changes because you would argue that them closing off the rules, right, to to other people, you know, bringing themselves up by their own quality would be a, a less democratic uh, democratic process or less, at least to some extent, capitalistic process. But it changes once you're at the top. You don't want anybody else to come up there with you. You don't yeah, care you if make it's sure by their own merit. Sit on top of the mountain and no one else can get Yeah. Essentially, whether it's unfair or not is you don't really give a shit about that, right? And that's, that, that's the depressing thing. You think, like I say, I understand it from a business point of view, but you know, football, yeah. the beautiful game, the most popular sport in the world, you want the the people who can make changes, the people who can influence the sport at the very top to have a more idealistic and a more democratic view of how the sport should be. But you know, I, I think it's been moving in this direction for years now. We've seen with FIFA, for example, the the, the lawmakers of the game who, who govern the entire sport that you know that is their sole purpose making money we'll see that at the world cup again this summer i'm sure but it is kind of depressing to see that is it seems to be a general trend in the game that it is moving in that direction and the premier league who as we said for the last 26 odd years have been a much more fairly run uh, organization in terms of the the distribution of, of the revenues that are generated by everyone in the league it's going in the opposite direction now and i think that's kind of a it's, it's, it's sad to see i think and hopefully you know, it doesn't mean the end necessarily for the domestic TV rights. But I think there is a there is a genuine possibility of the football bubble exploding. Like if we're not very much so. We are and this is this is massively off topic and we'll only be here for a second, but like we are in the stages according to a, a, a lot of people, like in the stages of very late capitalism. And I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where you know, Neymar was not Neymar was technically he triggered his own release clause by a, an out of sort of an out of state nationalist organization that wanted to, you know, buy him and bring him to PSG for their own political reasons. I can't imagine a situation becoming bigger than that. Like when countries start buying players for political reasons, where there's no ceiling, uh, like the, you have broken the ceiling. That's, that's it. Good old football player. Good old working class football. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, let's move on to some uh, some transfer talk. Uh, some exciting transfer <laughs> moves going on this week. Um, the most recent of which we should mention uh, is sort of breaking as we're on the pod here is that Nabil Fakir is very close to moving to Liverpool. Uh, that's according to the BBC, so you know you can trust it. Uh, 53 million is the reported deal um, from the 24-year-old from Lyon. Uh, obviously, uh, a player who's sort of set Europe alight this season, Nico. 18 goals and 8 assists in League uh, uh Do they really need Fakir? He plays on the right side of the attack or he plays with the centre as well. Does this lead credence to potentially Sadio Mane is on his way to, to Real Madrid? Do they really need another attack nah, like this? No, no, no. Don't start that, Adam. I know you're a Spurs fan. I'm just fueling the rumours. I'm just fueling. <laughs> um, no, I actually talked about Chris or to Chris about this on one of the last pods. But for me, because we kind of talked about the Fabinho transfer to, to Liverpool as well. And I said, you know, that the Fabinho transfer makes more sense in terms of it's in line with a lot of how Liverpool have done their business. They buy flexible players that can fit into the cog of a system, and this is painting in very broad strokes. But for me, like I said on the on that podcast, Fakir is a different one because although he does kind of fit into the profile of a Liverpool player, he presses well. He has a lot of really elevated uh, defensive actions, and Statsbomb with like their new data collection is, is kind of paving the way for quantifying these players a little bit better. Um, they they did a good article on him. Ted Knutson did it, and so did Mohamed Mohamed. But um, 
they I think Fakir is slightly different because whereas before they buy these flexible flexible players that have less of a concrete identity and can just fit into different parts of the system, Fakir is clearly an attacking player. And I think that's where the transfer policy changes for Liverpool. They're not only now looking to break into the top four and just kind of be there, they're I, I imagine under Klopp, they're kind of putting all their eggs in one basket and saying, okay, we want a league title under Klopp. And in order to do that, you need highly specialized pieces. You need a Fakir that can, you know, unlock a defense, which is part of the reason why they struggled. Like they will have to rotate. And the more talented players that you have in a rotation set, as you were saying, you know, does this leave space for Mane to go to to, to Real Madrid? No, I think they're going to have both of them and they're going to intend to use both of them. Maybe not at the same time, but they need to rotate if they want to pick up more points in the league and they want to be league title competitors and a team or rather a player that is as talented as Fakir in terms of like a sole attacking player is the kind of recruitment that Liverpool need to to go ahead and make that final step to the cities and the Uniteds and whoever else in the world that's challenging for the title so I think this is a pivotal moment for Liverpool because their transfer policy is changing from okay let's just buy clot players to okay let's buy talented clot players you know what I mean I scary it's scary honestly, it's a spare time to see <laughs> them making this uh, this level of signing uh, and this suit in the window, Fabinho, um, Fakir as well. It looks ominous, I think it's fair to say. Um, some other deals going down in the Premier League though. Uh, Arsenal signing uh, Lichtensteiner from uh, from Juventus, 34-year-old right back. Yeah, broken Swedish 34-year-old, yeah. or is he Swedish? Uh, not, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's not the most exciting uh, move. Chris, but is it is it an astute move to sign Stefan Lichtsteiner on, on a free from Juventus? Feels like you know. Uh, I think I saw on Twitter someone described it as uh, the sort of move you'd made within the first two minutes of uh, of logging on to Football Manager. You know, it's got that air about it. <laughs> is, is a certain certain smartness to it? I mean, look, he's got tremendous experience with Juventus. He's won, I think, seven league titles or something. I'm so stupid like that. Um, that said, the concern I have outside of those intangibles of experience like that is, you know, they've got Hector Bellerin already. So unless maybe they're going to change formation and, and do what sort of Pep and, and Southgate are doing by playing a fullback as a centre-back and go to a back three, I'm not sure where he fits in necessarily. I wouldn't have thought right-back competition was, was a desperate need. It might push Bellerin a little bit, but either way, they're both sort of, quite high quality to use a, a football manager analogy they're both four star players so it, it seems a little bit needless um I have to give it the context though the fact they're going to sign Socrates as well from Dortmund which again it's another one of those deals where I'm like mm, you know maybe a couple of years ago I could understand that but but now it it's certainly not the the gem on earth thing that I think we were uh not promised so much as as was alluded to when Sven Mislintak came in. And I think if they're going to continue down this road of, of giving a bit more experience going for those guys 27 and older, that's a little bit of a concern. Um, I mean, they've got Mavrapanos, who I thought looked good in, in sort of fits and starts because he, he only did play very briefly towards the end of the season, obviously. So maybe if it's the plan is to get him and Socrates together and then... Steiner on, on the right it, it's that's the problem it just feels way too early to draw huge conclusions because I, I almost want to see what else they're going to do I think in isolation it's not a terrible signing but come September it, it could look like a, a really poor one hmm. what about Manchester United Nico there's a deal in place for Brazilian midfielder Fred 
who seems to have suffered uh, an injury today in Brazil training, so might not make the World Cup. Remains to be seen what happens there. But £52 million is, is the move that's been agreed with Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, they also confirmed the signing today of, I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly, Diogo, Diogo Dalot? Delo? Diogo Delo? I think it, I think it's Delo, but Diogo yeah, Delo, that sure. sounds nice. Uh, who I think Mourinho described as the most talented fullback of his generation uh, in his age group, I should say. I'm sure Trent Alexander Arnold wasn't uh, wasn't overly impressed with that. But uh, what do you make of these signings? Again, two big signings early in the window. Fred, the most eye-catching potentially because of that 47 to 52 million reported fee. Are these good moves for Mourinho to this add up? I know less about Delo, um, but I, I can sort of contextualize it in the Mourinho thought, which is that I think similar to any manager, they don't want to try to perpetuate a style of football that at the top you have to be risky in possession, and Mourinho doesn't want to you know play a style of football that he that would sacrifice defensive solidity without first knowing and trusting the players that he has on the field. And I think Delo probably fits into that profile. Like he can be a little bit riskier in possession, put more forward, put more, you know, give Paul Pogba more freedom or whatever, take more risks in possession in terms of how they move the ball forward um, because he feels more secure in the players that he has. I think that's probably the move um, with this player. As for Fred, I've seen a little bit more of him. I think he's a very good player. Uh, yeah, I think Manchester City were in for him as well, but then they stopped their interest because of Jorginho. I think Fred's a very good player. The only concern that I have is that um, I think going from a Francesca system at Donetsk that is more similar to that of Sarri and eventually Pep Guardiola to a Manchester United team is going to be difficult for any player because of the differences in play I think we can say but ultimately I think Manchester United fans should be excited for both of them because I think if they've had any excuses in the past in terms of Paul Pogba and his inability to to play because of the way that the midfield is set up I have to imagine that the midfield three of Paul Pogba, Nemanja Matic and Fred who I think will ultimately play sort of that progressive midfielder that you know, links the defense to the attack is a really good one. And so if you have those three players and this Mourinho mindset that he only wants to do certain things when he feels like he has the right pieces, I feel like now more than ever, next year there's really no excuses if they don't at least deliver on a more uh, exciting style of attacking football that is ultimately fruitful. So Mm -hmm. I think the pieces are there for Manchester United now. It's just, as we've seen for the past two years now, it's up to Mourinho as to whether his players can deliver because I think they're, they're more than blessed with the talent and uh, he doesn't really have any excuses anymore. Scary on paper teams around Spurs signing all these players, especially when the, re- <laughs> the reports are we've pulled out of uh, any move for Zaha because Palace wants 70 but Adam, million. But Adam, Pochettino has signed a new That's deal. He's not he's going not, around he's Madrid. He's not going around That is the main thing, to be fair. <laughs> uh, I'm still happy. You can't take that away from me. Uh, what about Leicester, another club who are making uh, good moves? Absolute blinder of Yes, yeah, so they've just signed, it looks like, Johnny Evans. Um, I think for for three point five, not maybe? not for Johnny Evans, but the other ones. Yeah, but I think that's a decent move, Nico. To add it's a, it's a decent move, yeah. the business they're already doing, and you've been impressed by them. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was um, Ricardo Pereira. I think is how you say his last name. But yeah, you know, Spurs should have been in him exactly. in for him for a long time, exactly. and I think it 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 sort of illuminates the Spurs transfer dealing, which is that they would rather, I think. 
the the way the move panned out, given the fact that he went to Leicester, um, was that the player was probably willing to come to the Premier League when Spurs were interested last summer. The difficulty is probably somewhere along the way, whether it be the player, the club, or whatever, there was a hiccup where they would have had to pay more money. Whereas they looked at the market that time and said, okay, Serge Aurier is another decent option that we can get for uh, you know somewhere that's within our budget. And so they went for him instead. And I think that's that's the thing that you know, exemplifies the, the Spurs thing is that they would have probably rather had Perietta because he's a really, really fantastic player. He's incredibly quick down the right-hand side. He's he's really attack-minded and he's athletic. He fits exactly into the mold of a player that Pochettino would want. I would almost liken him to uh, a quicker and more athletic and even more attack-minded Kyle Walker. But they had to go with Serge Aurier because they needed to fill that gap in the summer and that was really the only option unless they wanted to pay more, which of course they can't. And so... <laughs> For Leicester to get him, I think is a is a really is a really big get because they can perpetuate the style of football that we've known them to have a defensive pressing break on the break on the uh, counter and, and do those things. And I think I think he'll do really well in the Premier League along with the other the other players that they'll they'll manage to get. Okay, let's move on to the. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So lots of questions coming in on Twitter. Uh, Nick Saldivia says, I know it's a lot of work, but could you guys do a draft game where you pick a starting 11 from World Cup players, but you only have one player per country and then discuss who would win? Maybe not tonight, Nick. I think we'll do that next week. It's, it's World Cup week next week. That's when all the content will be coming out. Don't you worry. Um, potentially the most interesting question or one of the most interesting interesting questions I've got tonight is from Dan H Danny Othello who says what do you make of Yaya's recent unusual outburst it was unusual Nico wasn't it um the quotes this week were from Yaya Torre who's obviously left City this summer he suggested that Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola often has problems with Africans uh, the Ivorian said he wants to break the myth about Guardiola, who he describes as jealous. Maybe we Africans are not always treated by the same by some in football. Um, interesting quotes. I think it's fair to say, Nico. Uh, what do you make of all this? Because obviously a lot of people are, are reading certain things into these these quotes that Yaya Torre has made. Um. I think I'm a little bit torn because on one hand, obviously, I think I've expressed my love for Yaya Tour on this podcast, and that hasn't changed. I, I, I'm not going to 
that's never going to change because of the things that he's done for the club that I like watching. And also, you know, I, I think we all have to respect his opinion and, and the things that he feels happened to him. And, and specifically the last year at Manchester City, that's what he's calling attention to is that he feels like Pep Guardiola ruined his final season at Manchester City. But I think at the same time, so we should very seriously take the the accusations that he he has leveled at Guardiola, and we should take them, like I said, seriously. But the I, th- I think to say that to 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 say that Guardiola is racist or that I think he's treated players differently in the past, I, as far as I know, I think wouldn't be genuine because Kevin De Bruyne has come out and backed Guardiola in this situation. I think a number of players have. And I think what's more likely is that while I would never say that Yaya is like a petty person because I know some City fans have, they said, you know, oh, just look at what he did with the the birthday cake situation. I think that was more of Dimitri Selic being his agent and just trying to get a higher fee for his contract at the time or whatever. I I think at the same time, the, the, the very few interviews that exist out there with Yaya Toure are very telling. And I think it, it speaks of a player that has been, has felt like they've been marginalized by the game and the coverage of the game and and probably subject to some racist coverage or at least what he interprets to be racist coverage. Because if you look at his interview, he did like a 45-minute interview with somebody at Sky um, after City won the title, and he says, you know, if, if a white player had done the same thing, then, you know, they'd be people would be talking about it like so much differently. And Simon Nasri came out and backed him and, and said that was true of the whole thing and, and agreed with him and said, and I, I I think he does have a point there. I think he has done some exceptional things in the game and it hasn't been covered the same, whether that's because he's black, whether that's because he's African. I think it's more down to the fact that maybe he isn't the loudest guy out there only in specific moments and he's not really a marketable asset. So there's less media coverage of him. Um, but I, I think that's the main thing that I want to push across is that we have to respect Yaya's thoughts and feelings, but at the same time, I think genuine accusations that Guardiola is a racist, I think, are coming from someone that is feeling slighted by by the game as a whole, and that sort of came to a culmination in his final year. And I think if you ask anyone at the club, if you ask anyone that looks at you know tactics or or anything, the reason that Yaya had, like didn't play for a long time is or under Pep, especially, and really towards the end of his City career, is because he wasn't willing to be a two two way player. Any anybody that plays under Pep Guardiola knows that you have to counter press and you have to press and you have to do you have to move a lot. You have to be very active and you have to give your all for the team. And I think even before. Pep came in, you know, there's an entire highlight reel of Yaya Toure not going into a sprint at all in the the Champions League game versus Real Madrid, which was a quarterfinal. I mean, I, I think to, to, to just label Yaya Toure as a lazy player in those situations would be to completely ignore some of the criticism that he's gotten and like I said before how he's felt about the way that people have covered him because he's done some amazing things in the game and yet people you know people talk about Lampard and and Gerrard and like they're miles above him and I think if you're a player and you're seeing all that and you're not seeing much coverage about yourself despite being one of the best midfielders of all time I think you have a right to be slighted but I think this is more a case of him taking out his aggression on someone that he always had problems with throughout his entire career both at Barcelona and Manchester City as opposed to Guardiola being genuinely racist Mm. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how it develops really I think we've seen 
Jerome Boateng, who obviously played under Guardiola at Bayern Munich coming out and, and sort of supporting Guardiola in a sense. Kevin De Bruyne, uh, another player coming out and doing the same. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this develops and if more voices are added to the chorus and to that suggestion that the Torre is making there. Um, moving on, other questions coming in on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Walker Porter says, ooh, the power free. Referring to us free. That's nice of you. Thank you very much. Uh, he said, breakout, breakout stars of the World Cup. Any ideas? What do you make of this one, Chris? Uh, potential stars who are on the verge of breaking out internationally, um, who perhaps are, are set to have a fantastic tournament. I think the name on a lot of people's lips seems to be Timo Werner. Um, obviously, he's only 22 years old, has been fantastic for Leipzig in the past two seasons, but perhaps internationally speaking, on a broader stage, as the first choice start from for Germany in this tournament, it feels like it could be it could be his World Cup, Chris. Yeah, that's that's the funny thing about football these days is that we we're so connected that everybody knows about everybody in theory. Um, so these breakout stars are a little bit harder to peg. I think a few of the ones I'll be watching, there, there was a ringer piece um, by Mohamed Mohamed that covered quite a few. Irving Lozano, who I'm familiar with from obviously watching CONCACAF qualifiers, the Mexican, um, I think is a decent show. He'd been linked to Man United when he was at Pachuca many years ago. Hakim Ziyech of Morocco, who um, again is another one that I tracked. I would say maybe going back to when he was at 20, I used to try and catch games of theirs. And then at Ajax, I wrote a piece years ago now suggesting him for Sunderland. In fact, Sunderland actually had the chance to sign him for $9 million, but turned it down. Um, and it looks like now he's going to go for about three times that. To, I think Roma were linked, Dortmund were linked. Um, the one that sort of I'm, I'm not uh, overly familiar with and I'm curious to see more is uh, Amin Harit, one of the ex-teammates with Morocco. He plays for, for Schalke, he's an attacking midfielder. Um, I've watched little bits of Max Meyer at, at Schalke, who obviously didn't get into the Germany squad, um, like a lot of very good German players. But I think Amin Hart is, is one that I'm curious about and I've heard good things about. Um, other notable inclusions, they're, they're pretty much who, who Mohamed tagged, to be honest. Piona Sisto is a good shout, the Danish uh, winger who was at Michelin um, and Goncalo uh, Guedes was someone I think Dave may have tweeted about and talked about a lot as someone that he quite likes because he's been on loan at, at Valencia this season. Um, Guedes that is not Dave. Um, and yeah, I think I think there'll be be some decent shouts to be honest because I think that's the difficulty. The only other one that that springs to mind actually, but then it sounds weird to call him breakout star because he's been talked about as a hundred million pound transfer is Milinkovic Savic of Serbia. He's kind of this big... Uh, yeah, he's got some size to him, but he's fantastic with the ball at his feet as well. He's got pretty much everything you'd want from a midfielder. Um, he's, he's got that sort of Pogba mould to him in terms of, you know, very physically adept but good technically. He's he's another one that I think could really stand out in the Serbia side because I think Matic will give them the, the sort of foundation and... and uh, organization for him to thrive. Mm, the, the Washington Post suggesting that Lionel Messi might be one of the players to watch out for. So uh, keep your eye on him. <laughs> he might uh, be. He I might find be. that so weird, you know, that it's somewhere like because the Washington Post is Stephen Goff, who's very good at what he does. I get it though. I you find know, it's so weird that it kind of. If someone was saying the NBA 
finals are on right now. Here's 10 players to watch. And it was a UK-based website. I'd be like, oh, great. You LeBron know. James. Yeah. Who is this LeBron James? <laughs> Maybe not LeBron James, I mean, but it is, I guess. Comparable. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what do you reckon, Nico? Any genuine shouts, legitimate shouts for players to watch that you're excited to see you could be on the verge of sort of a more international breakout? Uh, like Chris, I will reference the Ringer article. I think Muhammad did a great job in, in writing it, and um, and I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I'm not too you know keen on uh, not keen, but I'm not super informed on watching really young players in Europe. So I think one of the guys that Chris mentioned that I think like if we talk about the circumstances that you need to be a breakout star at the at the World Cup, I think maybe players not taking you as seriously and being in a team that isn't supremely talented but still has the ability to like do something at the tournament. I think of those players that Chris mentioned, Hakeem Zayek is probably the best one because people playing Morocco probably won't take the midfield too seriously and he'll have probably a lot of space to do well. So I would probably pick him out to 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 be good. And there are so many players in that IX team that have been excellent this season. So I think it's probably him. Okay, another question here on Twitter about the World Cup. Uh, Kareem Karras says, how far can Egypt go in the World Cup if Salah is on form? Uh, who's going to be the dark horse in Russia? Oh, okay, we'll come with that. We'll, we'll deal with the first one. How far can Egypt go in the World Cup if Salah's on form? What would you make of this, Chris? Because obviously it looks like Salah... Uh, it, it sort of came out yesterday that he's recovering from his soldier, uh, shoulder injury. Uh, Egypt is saying he probably is going to be able to play in that, that opening game, um, I believe, against the Ukraine. Uh, sorry, against Uruguay, which could be interesting. Um, uh, what do you make of Egypt's chances? Is it that they solely rest on Salah's shoulders, injured shoulders? Uh, look, he's a massive influence, obviously, he is in the attacking third and. It, to me, with everything I've read and seen, it seems like the entire country lives by the breaths that he takes in and out. I, I caught a bit of them against Belgium in the night and they weren't good. The defenders are very functional from what I've seen. The likes of uh, Ahmed Hagazi who was on loan on at West Brom this season and, and I think he's joined them permanently now, actually. And I, I, I don't want to just reduce them to Salah because I think that's a little bit disrespectful. The other player that I quite like the look of in the attacking third is a chap by the name of Trezeguet who plays in the Turkish League. I, th- I want to say for Sivasport. Um and everything I've I've seen of him, I think he's quite quite a dangerous attacker. And I wouldn't be surprised. And when we talk about breakout stars, I'm not familiar with with how old he is. I don't think he's that young personally. Um, I'm going to just quickly check just so I don't sound like a complete nugget. 23. So yeah, you could argue on the the, the very fine edge of a breakout star in that sense. I think he could get a move off the back of this tournament if he performs as, as expected. Um, it was it was actually Eric Krakauer who, who kind of put me on to him, a, a friend of mine who works now for Being um, as a producer. And I think he's, he's sort of their secret, maybe secret weapon is too strong a word, but I think he's the one that's not getting any press that could end up being a, a real handy little player for him, for, for Egypt, excuse me. What about dark horses? This is the other part of Karim's question here. Um, you've basically got discount Brazil, Germany, Spain, France. They're probably the four absolute favourites for the tournament. Anyone else you've got as a dark horse? Nico, Argentina, maybe just about qualify. England, definitely qualify. No, nah, they don't qualify. They have the greatest maybe player they... of all time, and yeah, they, but... they might bench a Sergio Aguero. You Incredibly can't, imbalanced squad, though, really. Are they, they're not the favourites. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I I really like them to win, and I think I'm going to write something for someone. So keep that keep an eye out for but that. Argentina to win the World Cup, fair play. All right. All right. 
well, not to win the World Cup, but just being like, you know, just about their story. But I think the dark horse for me is Colombia. They have oh. really good players all over the pitch. Davinson Sanchez, a, a spur for you. I like him. Um, and obviously, James Rodriguez and a few other guys. So I think they are actually pretty, they have a pretty solid chance of going through <laughs> and being good. Um, the difficulty is that I think, I just, I don't know. I've been on this like Germany hype train for like a couple weeks now, and I don't see them, they're so good. You know, they, they. I think from a tactical perspective, Yogi Lowe has everything down. He understands not to underestimate his opponents. He understands how to break down, you know, teams that are going to sit deep. They have the, the players to combat that. They have the players from an attacking perspective. Like, I think they have it all, and it's just impossible for me to see past Germany. So, Dark horse. I know that wasn't the question. Yeah, but. I mean, fair enough. Really? You, you, you say what now? It'll be like Spain at the last World Cup, coming to defend it. Nah, and... no way. But that's why I, that's why I'm saying like I think with Spain painfully for me like Del Bosque knew that he should have. But Del Bosque said like I should have retired after the Euros. Like I was not supposed to be there they they asked him to stay like he knew that he should have gone there was so much wrong the transition from like one golden generation to the next was so rough but for germany it's a completely different story because their coaching is more analytical it's not so emotionally thought um thought out and i think the 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 leroy sane exclusion i know we haven't talked about that but is it is a perfect example of like okay yes you have a good player you have a really good player but if they're going to, in some way, shape, or form, stop you from being the best possible team and stop you from achieving your goals, then I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how how good of a year you have. You, you just can't come. And that's not an indictment on him as a player. Yogi Lo has said he'll be involved with the team later on. I think that mindset of thinking, that mindset, we're going to be the best team, we have this approach, this, that, and the other... I think they 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 are as well prepared as someone can be. Obviously, luck and how much you know chance goes into these things is a completely different thing. But I think from every perspective that you can possibly prepare for, Germany is the best possible team. With the added context that I don't think the Germany that won in twenty fourteen were that good either. I think that they've, in that sense, they've become a better team. Definitely. In, in a lot in a lot of ways comparative to the 2014 team but I look at like Spain I look at Brazil who've also become a better team and, and obviously didn't win um, in 2014 tanked massively against said Germany and maybe even France although I have reservations about Deschamps I, I just I don't see Germany getting that far this time around I think you know a team like that is is almost guaranteed to get into the knockouts but thereafter I don't see Huge waves, personally. To finish, then, uh, a very on-brand question here from Waldo, who says, which country has the best from free, great podcast, in the World Cup this summer? That is a fantastic question, Waldo. Fair play. Um, what do we reckon? I suppose, who's going to be playing a from free for one? But maybe just the free best attackers, we'll say. Are we looking at, say, I don't know, Belgium? De Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard. Are we looking at France? Probably France. I'd probably say France. We're we talking Mbappe, yeah. Griezmann. Who else is it? Mbappe, Griezmann, and Dembele. Oh, right? that's pretty good. Uh, maybe Brazil. Gabriel Jesus. Maybe Neymar. Coutinho. Maybe. There's a, there's a couple of good yeah. attacking uh, attacking forces floating around. Who's uh, who's got the best attack in this tournament? Nico, for you. 
I think I think France, whether they play Dembele on the right and Mbappe on the left, or whether they play a front three at all, um, it's just impossible to to kind of look at that attack and not imagine that it will score goals unless you have absolutely no faith in Deschamps, which some people do. I mean, that's fair. So I think it's, I think it's France. Maybe what about Argentina? Chris, Di Maria, uh, ooh, Dybala, Dybala, Messi, Messi, yeah. I mean, that... Dibali? Yeah, Dibali's <laughs> on there. But as you said, I mean, <laughs> Sergio Aguero... celebrate Dibali. Sergio Aguero, <laughs> like you say, might start on the bench. So is it Dybala, Messi, Di-, Di Maria? That feels like an incredibly strong attack, Chris. Icardi not even going? Exactly. You know? Yeah, but we all know why, because Icardi's a very yeah. naughty boy. Um, he's not the messiah, to quote a very famous film. Yeah, Argentina are a funny one. I think, look, Sampaoli has a very clear and defined way that he likes to play. It's... It's counter-attacking, it's aggressive. Um, there are players within that squad that will fit, I would say, fairly well into that ethos. The problem I always have when I watch Argentina, and I did I did a few uh, betting columns towards um, the back end of the qualifiers, Better Responsibly Kids, and so I watched a lot of the, the South American game. And with Argentina, I always got the feeling that the, the players around Messi they didn't necessarily elevate his talent. They just relied on it. And he would get the ball and they would just stand still, which you know I can understand to a certain degree. But I don't know if there's enough harmony in the team to actually thrive. I mean, the, the back line's a curious mix of, of Otamendi's and then sort of much younger players that, that are maybe a little bit untested at this time. Fico, who has been solid from what I've seen at, at Ajax since he came over. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think... There's, there's clearly talent there. There's obviously talent there, whether it's Higuain, Messi, whatever. I just don't necessarily see, or I haven't seen, I should say, a beautiful harmony in the way that they played in qualifying, which I granted was a long time ago relative to, to when we're discussing now. But I just don't see how that will have evolved into a better situation over time. Should we finish talking about England's attack? Um, been too friendly this week. Uh, Should we finish talking about England? No, we haven't even talked about the best team. Or I, I just got an email today. The odds for uh, Brazil to win the World Cup are nine to two. Listen, we're going to be talking about Brazil a lot next week. I just want to talk about England because <laughs> listen, we got to talk about England, England because, because they suck. I forgot. They've been too friendly. <laughs> Nigeria earlier in the week, Costa Rica tonight. Um, looks like we've got this formation with three at the back, so we can't really say uh, from free for England because it looks like Southgate's going to be playing two up top. Uh, it was Sterling and Kane who started against Nigeria. Uh, I think it was Rashford and was it Welbeck who started up front against Costa Rica. <laughs> I mean, they're all in contention. Inspiring uh, confidence, Welbeck. What do you make of that of that formation, Chris? And who do you think should be starting up front for England in those two places? And could they be causing trouble at the World Cup? Is it Kane alongside Sterling? Is it Kane alongside Rashford potentially? who scored an absolute scream tonight against Costa Rica and who many because they make snap decisions, Phil should be starting alongside the, the, the captain in the opening group game against uh, Tunisia. The question was which strikers, right? Yeah. Kane and what, Sterling, Rashford. Uh, who... Sterling a striker now? Uh, I mean, Teddy's a forward, but it's all, yeah. it's all, it's all inconsequential. I would say, I would say uh, Kane and, and Rashford. Um, the, the thing is, I mean, everyone's going to jump on Rashford after his performance against Costa Rica, which, you know, culminated in a fairly brilliant strike. Um, 
I, th- I do like what Sterling offers. I think he's a, a slightly better dribbler. I think he makes really intelligent runs. But the, the trade-off is that Rashford is the better finisher, I think, of the two. Um, although he's not as, I would say, intelligent as, as Sterling with the ball, which is not to criticise Rashford. And I just think that Rashford... Um, Kane works quite well as a pairing. The beauty is, actually, of this team in general, it's got so much pace and power across the pitch, whether it's Walker, Rose, uh, Loftus-Cheek in midfield, Sterling and Rashford in the final third. It's no surprise to me that Southgate says that this is the formation and there's no real plan Bs or Cs, because I actually think this team's pretty adaptable as it is. It's, it's players can play a few different positions, so if Rashford tanks, you can pull them out and put Sterling in and then see how that goes. So, yeah, I, th- I think Really, for the first time, there's not um, an obvious set of starters all the time. I think it's it's nice. There's a bit more of a an even keel. Pace, power, adaptability, you said there, Chris. Uh, I'm reading between the lines, but you're saying we're going to win the World Cup. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, I was listening uh, to the Lightning Seeds yeah. the other night, yeah, I mean, um, which me. a lot of our listeners will not know who they yeah. are. Depressingly, <laughs> um, uh, what, what do you make of this, Nico? England are going to win the World Cup because Rashford's now going to start alongside Harry Kane, and no one can stop them. No, oh, the right. key for England, and this is I, I mentioned at the top of the pod that I was writing something about Pochettino's influence on mm-hmm. on England. I think the key for England is Delhi Alley because a lot of people have referenced like. I mean, I'm basically giving away my piece here, but a lot of people have referenced, uh, you know, Just that it. he has had a drop in form this season. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. But if you look at the advanced numbers, he's been more of a creative passer and his creative, his like numbers in terms of like progressive passes and really, um, you know, penetrative passes in the final third are really good. And they're, they're very high up in the league. Like they're up there with, like Kevin De Bruyne is miles away uh, in front of everyone else, but Deli Alley's closer to the top so I think that's the that's the biggest thing for England is that you have an athletic specimen that's decent in the air like Deli Alley if you want to bypass the midfield and hit teams like very quickly and be very direct especially with Kane as well but you also have Deli Alley as a passer that can you know really put players in good positions in the final third whether that's Sterling Rashford Kane whoever I think the 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 guy here is uh, is Deli Alley. So uh, I think uh, England's hopes lie with him. Uh, Deli yeah. Alley's going to lead England to the World Cup. You heard it here first. I'm excited, boys. We're getting <laughs> excited. I'm getting excited about seeing bloody Morocco via Iran. That's how excited I am about World Cup right now. I've got the fever. Uh, tune in next week, guys, for the front three. You're going to be previewing every single group on Monday. On Thursday, we're going to be making our World Cup predictions. And we'll be back every day of the World Cup, fingers crossed, to give you a daily update on all the games and give our thoughts and analysis. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening. Do remember to get your reviews in on iTunes. Click the link in the description of the podcast for your chance to be the whole of the week. Five-star reviews are appreciated. Until Monday, Chris, where can the whole, where can the listeners find you? On the Front 3 Twitter account, sharing everybody's work. Lovely stuff. Nico? Uh, they can find me at Nico underscore O Morales on Twitter. Uh, where can they find you, Adam? Find me at Adam Boltwood on Twitter. Guys, we'll see you on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.